Gentlemen, welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast. I'm your host, Josh Hatcher. And we've just got a handful more interviews for you as we close out Season 6. Season 7 is in the works, and we'll be back with a vengeance. Uh, in the meantime, I just want to let you know, if you want to win this amazing knife from Haynes Knives, you can uh, find out more about that at our website at manlyhood.com contests. Uh, this is called the Black Pearl. It's a gorgeous knife that was forged just for us to be able to give away on this contest. Uh, Travis Haynes at Haynes Knives has done a phenomenal job with this, and it's a gorgeous knife, and we can't wait to put it in your hands. So if you want a chance to win, go to manlyhood.com slash contests, and you can enter to win it for free, or if you want to buy some extra chances to win, you can do that there as well. The instructions are there. So I'm looking forward to giving this to somebody. So please make sure you check it out. Uh, today's episode, we're going to be talking to Aaron J. Armstrong. He's an entrepreneur and a real estate developer, and he has a great handle on what it means to be a winner. <laughs> He's got a lot of amazing life experience to talk about. So I'm looking forward to this interview with Aaron. Aaron, it's great to have you on the show today. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Josh. How are you? I'm doing good. Before we started rolling, you said you just got back from Florida. How was that experience? Sunny state, man. Oh, it was great. Colder than normal, but I think it's because everybody got hit with that brutal cold uh, cold front that came through everything. But it's been outstanding. Great state of Florida. Got to love it. It's always sunshine. Yeah, that's awesome. I haven't been that, that far south quite yet, so I, I spent some time in, like, all, in North Carolina, almost South Carolina, uh, but... I was really sick, so I didn't get to enjoy it. So, <laughs> yeah, we've we've got a we've got a second property down there, and I uh, got a little bit of damage from that Hurricane Ian that came through. So we were we were working on doing just kind of finishing up some issues we had from that. But I tell people it wasn't bad enough to feel bad for me. There's way pe people way worse off. It's just enough to be annoying <laughs> as far as the damage. I got you. So what? Uh, tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing, man, and yourself, and and. Uh, you know, you talk about your properties. Is that is that kind of a lot of what you do is properties in real estate, or do you have a broader uh, business? Yeah, um, so I'm kind of an entrepreneur. I, I just I find opportunities where they where they seem to make sense. I've got some rental properties, um, as I mentioned, one of them in Florida. I've got a couple rental properties here as well. But what I spend most of my time doing is working with uh, startups and entrepreneurs at my co-working space and incubator called the Venture Project. And uh, the venture project was designed, and this is something we can talk about too. On as we as it pertains to just what it means to be a man is is having this courage to face some challenges in life. And if there's challenges aren't presented to you, it's about going and finding that need and finding some kind of sense of adventure, and and pursuing that in such a way. So the word venture means to take on a risk, and the word project means something that's ongoing and has an end to it, so they can continue to conquer, settle, conquer, and continue in that process. So um, the venture project is pertains to business issues or, or something that might be entrepreneurial in nature or a creative idea or bug or itch and allowing an environment for people to make that happen. So I have 7,500 square feet of office space where we have different entrepreneurs sub rent out the offices, desks, um, and they join memberships. And then my team will allow them to, will come and come, come beside them and help them with different types of marketing projects and research. So that's kind of, what I spend most of my time doing, um, in addition to some some properties and other things that I use as more of holding assets. <clears throat> I gotcha. Yeah, I 
I think it's something that is valuable and important to look at for men because I, I know that it to, in today's economy, having a nine to five typically isn't enough, you know, and, and I know a lot of guys have got to say, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of working for the man. I want to create, I want to work for me. I want to kind of be my own boss or my own king, the own king of my domain. What, what does that look like for you? Is that what kind of drove you to the place that you're at? Yeah, um, I'm a little bit, uh, if you look at like personality types or profiles, I seek risk more than more people and I'm, I'm a lot more competitive than most people. So I understand that. So I'm drawn to chase things and create things. So, you know, my vice is probably defaulted to too aggressive. So I, the, the prayer I come back to is for patience. And it's like, it's about making sure that I'm spending enough time uh, settling where I think that 80% of men have the opposite issue, which is they have this propensity to be in the comfort zone and fear taking a risk or stepping out um, once and they, and they use a lot of the family virtues and things like that to mask this ability to go out and do something challenging and take on some type of uh, courageous act um, and I think that's more of the problem on a broader sense it's the opposite of my problem I think yeah that does make sense that masking you know using like your your job as a provider as an excuse you know yeah we have to provide yeah. stability and safety uh which is true to an extent but i think we can overdo it to the place where we don't take risks that we should be taking yeah i mean we're warriors right i mean we are protectors and that's really our our role so it's like what is how does that look in the in the world you know how does that look as far as deciding a career what does that look like as far as how you want to build your family and how you want to settle with your family and how you want to continue to um, protect that family that you have, protect your community, protect your church? I mean, what does that look like for men out there? And it's like if you aren't, I think, actively seeking courageous adventure and filling a need, um, I think it's 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 comfort and comfort's the enemy of progress. So that's I'd say one of the issues I see with a lot of folks, um, especially young men out there, is they'll fall into that comfort zone. They have what they need, and they don't have the ambition, drive, or competitive nature to try to do something more. Um, and that's not always required, but that I think if you're looking at the general culture, that's something that I think we're missing is, is that, that drive to be more and to seek more. I know that there's a lot of young men today that, um, well, we could say young men, but old boys might be a better description, right? <laughs> that are living yeah. in mom's basement yeah. and have never really gone out and started a family or done anything other than gotten really good at video games. You know, what, what do we say to yeah. those guys? Yeah, that's a great question. There's a, there's a handful of people that I meet with, um, on a, on a weekly basis, uh, that pop in my office and they ask some questions and some of them have good intentions. They want to do something more, but they're all over the place. And some of them are the people you're describing. They need to be woken up and do something, but they both have the same problem. And that is that I think our culture has made it extremely easy to see or it, they, they've made it popular to find easy solutions to things. And 
there's a, a strong amount of young men that want to resist difficult things. So my default answer to your question is find something extremely hard to do. I don't care if it's with your brains or if it's with your body, but find something extremely hard to do and have it with a definitive end in mind and complete that thing. And don't come to me with any ideas. Don't come to me with any dreams or hopes or ambitions until that hard thing is done. You're not allowed to have that creative, unique idea until you've completed something hard. It can be an Ironman. It can be a bodybuilding contest. It can be majoring in astrophysics. It can be getting a PhD in something. I don't care what it is, but something extremely hard with a definitive end in mind. It can be joining the military. It can be becoming, becoming a Navy SEAL. I don't care what it is, but it better be the hardest thing you can do because that forces us to complete something extremely challenging and put a strong amount of discipline, which gives us the order that we need to be allowed to have that creativity. So to the person sitting in the basement, that doesn't sound hard to me. It sounds like what you've been doing is chasing something that's pleasurable and easy your whole life. Stop doing that. Find some kind of hard thing that's in line with your interest that will be a badge of honor that you have for life after completing it, something that you can continually hang your hat up on. You know, that's why going to college is a good thing for a lot of people. It's because it's the rest of your life you have this accomplishment you can talk about um, and all sorts of competitive athletics and things like that. Find out what that is for you and complete it. And that's, I think, what what I'd recommend to that to that young man. Did you start out with a hard thing? What was your your starting place? So I was an athlete. Um, so when I was in high school, I was uh, a competitive athlete. I played varsity football, basketball, and track. Uh, I got recruited to play football at at various universities. I knew that's what I, I kind of wanted to do. So. My hard thing was uh, I got a letter in the mail from West Point, United States Military Academy. And at that time, um, in 2009, it was ranked the number one on school in the country above Harvard, Stanford, Yale, everybody, uh, West Point. And I, and I said, I have an opportunity to play football here. This, this is something that might be the hardest thing I'll ever do in my life is try to complete a four-year um, experience, 47-month experience at the, at the most premier institution in the country. So I decided to, to accept that football offer. I went to a year of prep school, and then I started my commitment at the at West Point United States Military Academy. So when I was 23 years old, I graduated with with being challenged in every possible way because of the, the nature of that curriculum. Um, challenged in such a way to become a warrior and challenged in such a way to become a gentleman, and I think and, and an academic and a scholar. So that was something that was that had that I I think after have, having done it it was such a light to say I've taken calc 2 physics 2 chemistry 2 I majored in, in systems engineering um, I've completed boxing with people in my weight class I've done field experiment or field exercises in during the summer uh, I've gone to rifle ranges I've completed all these things that they, they'll find something that you're not good at and make you do it and I and having done that has given me the confidence to face anything else in the world with with confidence, with with an ability that if I can go through this hard thing, I know I can face other hard things. In fact, I'm not afraid of facing hard things. I'm not afraid of learning something new. After going through rigorous classwork, I'm not afraid to learn something. After going through rig rigorous physical activity, I'm not afraid to take on a new challenge with, with my body because I know what I've been able to do. Um, there was a rumor, I don't know if this is true, but apparently uh, back in the day, Navy SEALs would actually be drowned. 
where they would hold their breath underwater for a certain time until they pass out, then they're pulled out of the water, revived, and, and so on. And they have a clock so they know exactly how many minutes it takes before they pass out underwater. So if they're ever in a situation, they'll know that they have three or four minutes or whatever that time is before they're going to go unconscious and, and, and die. So that is the same way I look at doing these hard things, is setting up, pushing yourself to the limits so that you know when you go through life that you can always push yourself to limits in that same capacity wherever you go. And that was the hard thing for me was, was getting through that uh, through that academy, and I think it's it's about finding every couple of years another hard thing to put your hat on. When you talk about the story of the Navy SEALs, there it makes me think about like the idea of pushing to failure. You know, like when you're lifting, you know, you're lifting to the point where you can't lift yeah. anymore, and that's great example. And yeah, like a lot of people have that hard time where they hit the failure, and they're like, "Oh, I failed," you know. And it's like, no, that's that means that now you know what limit you're trying to get past. What, what you're trying yeah. to, to beat the next time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent agree. I mean, that's a great example is, is pushing yourself to failure in the weight room, um, completing your one rep max, right? If you fail at a certain weight, you know, you're pretty close to that before you can fail. So, you know, if you're ever in a situation where you need to press a certain amount or lift a certain amount, you know, what your range is, what your, what your window of opportunity is. And if we don't, if we never push ourselves to begin with, you'll never know what that number is and you'll probably never come close to it. And you'll be extremely surprised at how close or at how far you really can push yourself because the human body and the human brain and the human mind is so unbelievably uh, adaptable in, in, in the nature and it, you can push yourself so much further than you really believe you can. Um, so that's, I, I mean, I think that's, that's the message. It's like, what's the hardest thing you think you can push yourself to? And if you're young, you've got time, you've got tons of energy. This is the time to try that kind of stuff. The, uh, the limit that I set for myself in my head is always way before the limit of what I can actually do. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more on the, on the business end. Uh, you know, we talk about that, that hard thing and that doing hard things. What is, what is that? How does that translate to your business? Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways it, it does transfer. Um, I think that, that entrepreneurship in, at its very nature is what makes the United States of America unique and great. And it's what makes capitalism thrive. And it's really what allows uh, us to add value with very little barriers to entry to the world. And I think it's it's something that as we've seen kind of from the 1950s and on with the rise of corporate America, the the corporate corporate America has done a really good job at finding just enough to keep you comfortable. At give at paying you just enough so that you don't quit, giving you just enough work-life balance so that it's tough to walk away from this. And it's really a bribe. And I think that there is an there is a a need for more entrepreneurship to attack the corporate structure because that's where you're going to start to see uh, these issues like groupthink and the status quo be broken down is by having a decentralization of talent and pushed into the entrepreneurial sphere sphere and I want to start debunking these myths that. Um, that being an entrepreneur means you're taking an unbelievable amount of risk, or that it's ex or that it's uh, 
it's bound to fail or that you're going to go bankrupt or all these bizarre myths of what entrepreneurship is and start to find solutions for people that are relatively low risk, high reward opportunities out in the marketplace. And that's where the venture project team comes in is we can help you find those asymmetric risk versus reward opportunities where there's disproportionate upside versus downside or or debunking some of these myths that um, how much you really need to survive or how much money you're you can afford to lose or what your personal situation is because everybody's situation is extremely different everybody's risk tolerance is extremely different and that's the mission of this venture project it's to wherever you are in the world you don't need to go to Hollywood or, or Wall Street you can bloom where you are planted you can find opportunities under your nose you can sell things to your neighbor that has services that or value that they're interested in purchasing from you and that's kind of where where I want to come in with our mission is let's decentralize the talent and allow new ideas and allow people who are passionate about adding value and finding unique uh, opportunities in the market space to come aboard and actually attack those things and debunk these myths that it's that it's so you know disproportionately risky compared to something else yeah i'm not like anti corporation entirely right i understand like there's a, a a value to the idea of capitalism and a business grows and then eventually it grows really big but i think about mm -hmm. you know like the superstore and when it moved into town and all of the mom and pop shops shut down you know because instead of adapting and finding a way to compete or rather to provide something that the big corporate structure can't they just gave up you know and then went to work yeah. there you know and so you drive downtown and you see all these empty storefronts and it's like this is actually a prime opportunity now for this next generation to say what can I do with this space? What can I do with this idea? And how can I, you know, no, I mean, really who likes going to show up at the superstore? Nobody does. So how can you, yeah. how can you bust that paradigm? You know? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, um, to your point on like, you know, corporate America, there's actually a strategy that we teach uh, on our programs called the corporate preneur. And what, what I've found is that a lot of entrepreneurs that really crush it, um, were disgruntled employees because they had, they saw something in the company that was a serious value add and just the nature of the, the bureaucratic nature of being in an organization. Uh, that idea might have gotten stomped out or it wasn't the right time. And they figured out ways to go outside of the company and make that a reality and find a, a space in the market. Um, but I think a lot of entrepreneurs run into issues where they fall in love with their idea without thinking about what the market's excited about. They think about they like their idea, but the market doesn't care how you like your idea. The market has plenty of needs out there. So if you can continuously, if you can divorce yourself from your own ideas and put yourself into the position of your consumers and your potential clients and customers, it becomes a lot easier to see those value adds. So with the, the superstore small business example, I know a lot of small businesses that have come up and down Main Street um, right here that fall apart because they fall in love with a certain kind of design they like or a certain type of you know, clothing or a certain type of restaurant or whatever it happens to be without really thinking about what the market's, what the market's interested in. And if you could start from a place of where is the problem and how do I provide a solution and am I excited about that solution is the third question, not the first. 
So you find the problem, you identify a solution, and then you decide if you're excited about the solution. And you repeat that process until you find a solution you're excited about, and then you go start your business. And I think that's where a lot of folks run into issues that I run into is they're like, oh, I just can't understand why like my app isn't working. I'm like, because I Googled three or four other apps that do this better, that I, you're not going to get any traction. Or because I found... Um, that nobody wants to pay for something like this because it's not a value add to what they're doing. You're just excited about this idea. So divorce yourself from your excitement, identify the problem first, identify the solution, and then decide later if that's a solution that you're excited about. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing and it really kind of highlights something that I say a lot about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a leader, is that your job is serving other people. It always is. It yeah. doesn't matter oh, what yeah. your job mm -hmm. is. Your job is serving. And, you know, if you're starting a business and you're doing that and your job is to get rich, you know, if that's what you think your job is, then you've got the wrong, the entire wrong perspective. And then you're going to be disappointed and it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. We're in a, we're in a men's ministry group um, that meets once a week. And our definition of a man is um, not to steal your thunder for your question, but, but our definition for, for a man is someone that does a cause regardless of effect. Uh, in other words, what that really means is someone that um, is able to put aside short-term consequences or short-term gratification for long-term wise decision-making. Uh, wiser long-term solutions versus just the short-term immediate pleasures. And what that really is describing is a sense of maturity because uh, a wise person or a wise man is able to discern from what is just a short-term gain versus the long-term play, something that might be more higher um, more, more a moral high ground that also has practical benefits and realizable gains. And that's really what we mean when we say, you know, a man is someone that does the cause regardless of effect. They're not looking at these short-term solutions. They're not looking at immediate pleasures. They're looking at some kind of moral positioning in every decision that's made. Everything else is really just what a boy does. I'm just chasing money because I want to make more money. Where it's like, well, if I'm, I'm doing something that I think is solving a problem and it's valuable, um, money will show up, but that's not my motive. My motive is I just want to solve this problem and serve something. And it's not about serving what I want to serve. It's about finding what needs to be served and filling that need, which might be uncomfortable. It might require um, just the discipline. It might require a lot of persistence. It might require extreme reliability and a ton of energy. And that are all, those are all things that men do, that men can face those challenges, that men can, pers um, they can persist through adversity, conflict, and, a dis and a discomfort and fulfill the need because that's the right thing to do. And uh, that's, that's, I think, how entrepreneurship also works in that same way. That's a very counterculture idea, countercultural idea right now. I think people are not uh, ready for that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a it's not a sexy product to sell, right? I mean, it's a difficult product to sell. the The sexy product is get get it now, right? Get rich quick. the The sexy product is here's a pill to lose weight. The sexy product um, are all these or here's a job where you don't have to work. You know, the, the, these are all. I want a remote job where I'm making six figures and I don't do anything all day and I can just play with my cat. Like, yeah, those are way sexier products to sell. The fact is, though, that's not that's going to have no fulfillment short term. The fact is you're not creating any value, you're not creating any meaning, you're not taking on any responsibility, and you're just sitting in this, this artificially engineered dopamine circuit that's producing nothing. Is that a way to live? 
Absolutely not. The way to live is to take responsibility, have discipline, do hard things, complete hard things, finish hard things with results, live on the value of those results, ride those, surf those, those waves of results for a little ways, and then start something up again and continue that process. And that's really what it means to be a man in business. It's, it's, but it's the same thing with every type of decision that's made. So what's the harder right versus the easier wrong? Aaron, tell me about counterculture, though, man. Yeah, counterculture for sure. It is absolutely to say <laughs> uh, because that's not the messaging that's thrown into our face all day long, you know. And sometimes I wonder. What, what do you think is that? What do you think is the messaging that the culture would be pushing? I right think now? culture is saying to us: um, consume, consume, consume; take, take, take; get, get, get. It's mm. not give. It's not serve. It's not. It's all about making ourselves more comfortable, more gratified, more, you know. Immediately, everything instant, yeah. right? And and you deserve it. Oh, that's the nonsense, dude. That's the one that always gets me. Yeah, 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 I yeah, yeah, yeah. This. I deserve to be happy. No, that's baloney. <laughs> yeah, you, you deserve it after you've earned it. Um, I think that's reasonable and fair. Is that like once I've completed the hard thing, I should have some kind of fruits of my labor if it was a wise, hard thing to do. But it's when you don't you don't deserve anything. Nothing should be gifted to you. You don't you don't you earn the fruit. Uh, you know you you sow you you reap what you sow. I think it's just and that we've lost that that the thing that was relatively common common sense was that you would work and then you would produce. Now it's just like well I should just get. And I don't, I don't understand why that, why that, I mean, I understand that that's popular and that's exciting and that's a sexy product to take, but I don't understand how people think that that's a re, that's, that's possible and real. Um, and it's, and it's, it's disappointing because we're losing a generation of masculinity due to things like that, due to this, like you deserve it. You, you deserve something for nothing. Um, I think that's the wrong message. I think that's not only on the face of it is that the wrong message, but I think it's going to cause people to lose lose sight of what how we find happiness and fulfillment. You know, we are designed to achieve things. We are designed. You know, Tony Robbins says that the the, the this key to happiness is the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. You know, there's a there's tasks and things that need to be done that you can achieve. And then there's a fulfillment and gratitude. It's about recognizing those results and having moments of, of periodic gratitude to realize your placement of what you've achieved. And if we have no achievement in that, I think we're, we're lost. Yeah, 100%. That's a great quote by Tony Robbins. Yeah, Tony Robbins has great quotes. They're better to read than to listen to because his voice is all gravelly from yelling all the time. <laughs> Yeah, yelling for 60 years. <laughs> oh, so are you a family man? Do you have a uh, wife, kids? Yeah, I got a wife. Uh, I got a little uh, a 19-month-old right now and then uh, another one on the way in a month. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Irish twins right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's the goal. We're, I'm just going to crank them out, man. <laughs> that's awesome. We had twins on our one-year wedding anniversary, and now they're, they've both got kids of their own. So uh, don't blink because wow. it goes fast, dude. It goes really fast. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I can't imagine that yet, but I'd be excited to see your grandfather. Yes. Yeah. And that's so much better wow. than being a dad. Being a dad was great, but it was like, yeah, it's also hard. So now I get to reap the benefits of all of the hard work that I put into them. And it's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, congrats. That's awesome, yeah. man. 
yeah, congrats on your young ones too, man. That's 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 an awesome experience. How is so? Nineteen months is is the age. Uh, how are you teaching him some of these things? Are you teaching him to do any hard things yet? Yeah, I think uh, it's it's about time where he's starting to develop a little bit, right? Where he can kind of you can reason to you can start to reason with him. I should say, you know, he's beginning that kind of toddler phase. Um, one thing that one of my friends said, and obviously a controversial statement, but I don't care is, um, you know, mothers raise boys and fathers raise men. And I think that that's an, that's, that's extremely important. It's not saying that, you know, a, a, a person can't end up fine from a single mother or anything like that, but it's just saying that there's a, an ideal situation to make sure that you're setting your children up for the, for the best. And I think that the father's role for, for young boys is to turn them into men and show them, you know, these different channels of aggression, show them how to control the, the inner beast that they have. And if they don't have enough of a beast there to wake them up and show some level of assertive nature so that they can compete in a very competitive world. And that's, how I've been trying to translate that to a 19 month old kid has been a fun challenge. But I mean, one of the things is he never, whenever he cries or falls down or something like that, or stubs his toe, you know, he never cries daddy. He cries mommy uh, because he knows that if he comes to daddy, I'm going to say, get up, you know, you're fine. You fell down. You know, it's like, there's a very different response that I have to that type of thing. And that's just little things like that, that I'm starting to do is to show him the difference between when you're hurt, what is an acceptable time to cry? When is an acceptable time to do something? Um, pain is not necessarily the best time to cry. Crying is for grieving and for mourning. Um, but but pain, I mean, that doesn't solve the problem. Stress, that's not time to cry. Cry, you know, that's if, if I was a leader of a large organization and I broke down and started crying when something was stressful, that that is not necessarily the best solution, if ever a good solution the best solution for crying is for grieving. So like, there's this like, you know, talk about counterculture. We're like, Oh, it's okay to cry. Everybody, men, it's okay to cry. It's like, yeah, it's okay to cry when you're grieving. It's really not that good of a solution when you're stressed out, that doesn't solve any problem. It's not really that good of a solution when you, you know, break a fingernail and start crying. That's not what men do. Men solve problems. So I'm trying to try to, you know, put, put some of that in my son's mind. Um, and uh, slowly but surely, we'll start to we you know start to discipline him when things are wrong. There's this like cultural movement with children right now, where you know toddlers especially, it's just an expression of their feelings, and you're supposed to just kind of let them have this moment to express themselves. And uh, I you know as a Christian man take the position that we are born from a position of sin, and it's our role as parents to start to correct that nature because they're going to fall into their natural tendencies. And, and I am, so I, yeah, disciplining at 19 months is 100. It's been around forever until the last like three years and it's worked. You know, I was spanked as a kid. I turned out. Okay. I mean, th these are things that I think, um, we're going to start to implement as parents. Yeah. Yeah. Call me again in 20, 20 years and then we'll see how it yeah, works. <laughs> yeah. If there's, if I look back on, on when I was, you know, parenting 19 month olds and, uh, all the things that I thought I knew and then, yeah, like, uh, looking back, I'm like, I probably should have spanked them a little less or maybe a little more. I'm not sure, but they turned out all right. They didn't die. I used to tell my kids this when they were old enough to understand it. I'd say, I'm going to do the best I can and I'll let therapy sort you out later. 
end. <laughs> they didn't get the joke until now that they're in therapy. They're like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> yeah, now I get it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have it figured out, but I mean, I'm going to do my best, and I've got good resources and tools at, at my fingertips that I'm going to work I on. Remember, so. I remember yeah. telling my kids, my boys and my girls, when they were little, is it's okay to cry. It's not okay to scream and yell. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. like if you're sad, go ahead and cry, but you don't need to scream and yell and make all that noise. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that that's probably why they're in therapy now, but they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, God bless you, man. I mean, having a bunch of kids is, it's not easy for anybody and, and no one's got a textbook that's got it figured out. So what's, yeah. uh, what's your favorite part so far of, uh, of being yeah. a parent? Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's really an interesting experience from if somebody's listening and doesn't have a kid, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it completes, for, for example, I'll give you an example. Like one thing I've noticed when people say that, like, it kind of completes you as a person, what I've noticed is that like, it's caused me to reflect a lot more on my childhood that I never would have done without a kid. And it's, and it's caused me to reflect on memories from you know, when I was two or three years old that I never would have thought about before. So you kind of almost have like a second chance of reliving your childhood, whether that's good or bad for some people. And that's been kind of a cool thing. And I, and I think it does, it does create like a whole new experience because, um, personally I feel a lot more vulnerable now. There's this, there's these natural, you know, this love you have for your kid. And it's kind of terrifying because it's like, now you've, you got this kid that you got to care for and do all these things for. And it's like, it's, it makes it so much more real that like, if I, if I died or if he dies or something like that, it's just like, this is just such a more devastating experience. So like, you're so much more vulnerable. Um, but on the flip side of that is it's just like, it's unbelievable to see somebody that looks like you that starts to have these different personality characteristics. That's like you. And, um, that look, when five months when I walk in the door, he started smiling, you know, when he said, and he'd say, and then now he says, dad, dad, and he's just super excited to see me all the time. And that's, I mean, that's really a special experience. So I'd encourage young men that are in that boat that like, you know, oh, I don't maybe pause on having kids. It's, it's just back to the thing. Like you're just not used to doing hard things. Like having a kid is hard, but if you're used to doing hard things, it's not any different. It's just another thing you're doing. And I think too many people want the comfort of not having a kid. They'd rather have a dog that you could throw in the trunk of the car and let him out. They'll jump in all over you and be excited. Um, and it's like, I think you're just being a coward if you're going to be that way. That's know? what I do with my kids. So <laughs> <laughs> that's why they're in therapy yeah. probably. Right. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, man. And like the, I remember that question a lot because we started, shortly after we got married, we're like, why wait? You know, everybody says, you know, well, wait till you're ready. You are never going to be ready. I mean, yeah. I understand yeah. if I could go back, it would have been nice to be more financially secure. When I had my kids, there was a lot of hardship that we went through that would have been nicer to have a little cushion. I understand that. But the bottom line is you're never going to be able to afford it and you're never going to be ready for it. So don't let that be the thing that stops you from doing it. I think too, like, um, it makes me more productive because of it. So like, I'm able to make more money because I have a kid and I know that I want to have a more comfortable life for him. Right. So like, that's, that's something I've noticed. It gives me more of a motivation to 
So it's like, okay, if let's say you're like, oh, I can't really afford kids right now. It's like, well, have the kid and it'll push you to make more money. You'll, you'll start doing more things. You'll start taking on those challenges we talked about. You'll start, you know, looking at improving your income. You'll start having the hard conversations with your boss. You'll start looking for other jobs because you're going to want to grow and you're going to have a family. You want to have a yard. You're going to want to have your picket fence, your golden retriever and all those things that come with, with building a family. And it's going to make you more manly because you're going to be looking for how do I provide for these folks? Awesome. That's a great concept to think about. Like that's actually what propels you. Yeah. So I like to ask all my guests a few questions and, uh, I think you're going to have some good responses here. <laughs> uh, I hope so. First question is <laughs> what does it take to be a man? Um, so a little bit, so we'll, we'll, I guess we'll piggyback on kind of what I said earlier. So like, uh, being able to do a cause regardless of effect. Um, I think it's going to be about understanding your natural propensity to want to do the easier thing in the short term, to want to chase short-term pleasures, uh, whether that's sleeping around with women, whether that's chasing money, whether that's all these types of things that we're naturally inclined to do because it's the nature of our biology as men, assuming that you know you have the male genitalia and that you're over 18 years old, which is the basic definition of a man, which I should put out there because our culture decides that that's not what a man is anymore. Um, but I, I am of the position that that that's the beginning of what be, what a man is, and um, you become a true man, not a boy, when you are able to recognize that fault in our nature, that we are programmed to chase short-term pleasure in expense of long-term gain, and we can reverse those things. It's when it's the beginning of what we, when when we become a man, and the reversal of that is when I start looking at long-term success. When I'm able to sit and and work on my business for two to three years without taking a penny, um, when I'm able to you know work six to twelve months in the gym before I can see my body transform, uh, when I'm able to resist the temptation to sleep around with women and get married and, and have a lovely relationship with my wife and have a child that might be difficult, but the, the value and the life that I've brought to the world is significantly better. All those long-term benefits is what makes us a man. And when we package that up, we're talking really about maturity and responsibility. So I think that's when that's what it takes to become a man, is to have that maturity to look at long-term vision and what our actions are today from a moral high ground and, and, and implementing that. That moral high ground. I mean, I know we both would identify as Christians and, uh, you know, we kind of have a, a, a moral system prepackaged in our belief system. But what do you think are some of the moral imperatives that maybe, you know, even if someone isn't a Christian, that they might be, be able to identify with and, and apply? Um, well, so I, th I think a lot of people, Christian or not, they share, even like in the Stoic philosophy, the, the idea around wisdom has been a central value, I think, to masculinity. Um, in the Proverbs, we have the verse of, you know, the, the, val the, the value of a young man is a strength and the value of an old man is his wisdom or something along those lines. And that's, that's something that I think even most Stoics would agree with. I think that's something that um, a lot of other religions would share as well, is this idea of wisdom. And we talk about what wisdom is. It's about taking the knowledge that you have and being able to look at it in kind of a, a timeline. And being able and able to apply knowledge in an appropriate time, and I think uh, that's something that people can look at. So, if if you don't ascribe to the Christian 
worldview, I think that you would, most people I think that are of moral nature would agree with most of the principal tenets of the Christian worldview, which is, you know, um, having this, this counterculture idea of love, you know, Jesus's sermon on the Mount is to love your enemy, um, as you love yourself. You know, that's really a counterintuitive perspective. And if you look at what a, maybe a masculine role is in the movies, it's not necessarily that. It's not like, you know, someone that's you, the Arnold and Stallone movies of the eighties or you're blowing up in body counts in the films, but, but it's this ability to have a, to go against your inclination to hate or to, uh, have wrath towards somebody or vengeance and to fulfill that with love. Those are all things that, um, I think our culture today would probably agree with. And, and that's something that, that I would encourage people to, to agree with as well. Excellent answer. So, yeah. Let's say you are able to suspend the laws of space and time and have an interaction with 10-year-old Aaron. <laughs> what do you want to tell him? Um, I think that there's a lot of things I did right, and there's a lot of things that I did wrong. And I think that I would tell him that the, the ambition, the drive, the competitive nature – being involved in sports, listening to your coaches, um, being a good student, all those kind of common things you get were fantastic were, for fantastic pieces of advice for me. Where I think I went wrong was that in the effort of breaking from normal to above average, uh, I took some different risks, and that's where I think I made mistakes. So I was very good at um, like doing the right thing to the status quo, but to be great was harder. So I, I took these risks, and I think part of it was temperament, which I could work on. And uh, and I think the other thing would be to um, take a moral high ground more frequently. I wish I could have matured even earlier, you know, where I could start to say you're – I would do things that were just for fun. I was like I – would, I would seek fun, funny things over anything else. Um kind of removing that position said so there's there's plenty of joy and fun and other opportunities that aren't at the expense of others and i think that would be it'd be more of a temperament discussion and and how do you want to what is what does it mean to kind of like mature and i think that's that's kind of the advice i'd probably give myself um and then i there's a handful of business advice i'd probably give myself too. you know get started or get started earlier buy you know? amazon <laughs> when it's like a buck a share <laughs> <laughs> yeah right yeah give some stock advice and stuff like that but um but yeah you know but but being entrepreneurial would have saved me some time earlier probably um but i wasn't ready to i wasn't really ready to do anything yet i had to, i i needed some of those experiences in my early 20s to kind of mature yeah yeah, sometimes the things that we learn and what we know now and the reason that we're good at what we do now is because of the failures and the mistakes and the struggle we had to go through when we were young and dumb. Yeah. I think I spent way too much time uh, chasing girls around that I wish I could have taken back. Um, if I knew what I knew now, um, I, would, I, would, I know that women are much more attracted to men that have their lives put together than just uh, the funny guy or, or whatever it happens to be. Um, so I think that my goal would be to establish, build something, create things, and allow the women to find you. Don't go find them. And that would be probably some advice because I waste a lot of time in high school and college just chasing girls around. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 
trying to fill a hole that uh, is not ready to be filled yet, you know? Yeah. And you don't think that way when you're like 12 or 13. Like you think you got to have a girlfriend, you got to marry your high school sweetheart or whatever. Uh, that was kind of stupid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you're never going to, you're only going to get better options as you get more mature and have your, and have more goals and things figured out. Because women are attracted to men that have goals and things figured out. And, and you miss out on a lot of good friendships because all you're doing is complicating it with, you know, romantic emotions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that that would be some great yeah. advice I think I'd give myself yeah, to. That's good advice for, for me, too, if I could visit jo- little Josh. <laughs> little Josh. Oh. Maybe be your rapper named Lil yeah, Josh. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> oh, it'd be funny because I'm not little, so... <laughs> <laughs> big fat joe or little joe or whatever it is. <laughs> oh so my my next question for you and i know you've you've talked a lot about what may be your advice unless you've got other but what is your best advice for the men that are listening today um i mean i'd really encourage people to have some kind of cadence to really challenge yourself so i talked about doing hard something really hard um, what have like a, every, maybe not every year, but like every three years have like some ridiculous goal. That's like something within reach, but something that you can like hang your hat on. Um, so for example, I got it in my head that I'm going to do uh, a half Ironman this year. Um, which I, I, I didn't tell anybody until I did at least six weeks of training so that I knew that it was like within reach. And I'm not an endurance athlete by any stretch of the imagination. I agree. I did, you know, advanced weight training my whole life. So it's like, I, I knew it was something hard enough that would, but I could always like have a medal, you know, have a t-shirt, have a picture at the finish line, um, the rest of my life of something like that. And that was kind of my, like, you get out of your comfort zone. I, I saw my fitness world slacking and in, in my thirties, my metabolism slowing down all this stuff. So I'm like, how do I get out of my comfort zone? I encourage other men to find what that thing is. Uh, if it's going back to school, you know, if it's going to school, if it's um, starting a business or just doing something really hard, you know, having a kid, you know, just pick something that's really difficult and and do that because those are the things that add the most value, I think, to our world. Or the thing, the hard things are the things that give us the most joy at the end. And uh, and I think that if we can get in the habits of doing that every couple of years, you're going to have more cool things to do, more cool stories to tell, and you're going to have more things that you've accomplished, more opportunities. So, hmm. That's excellent advice. Aaron, so if the guys want to connect with you and what you're doing, uh, what's, the, what's the best way for that to happen? Yeah, if anybody wants to, to connect, uh, my website is AaronJArmstrong.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-J armstrong.com i got all my socials linked there um you can connect with me on instagram at aaron armstrong 33 you can send send slide in my dms you know i'm always going to respond um you can shoot me a, a form fill out a form on my website it goes to my email eventually so any of those things are uh, I'd, I'd be happy to connect just say we we connected on josh's pod and um i'll, I'll hang out with you guys we can jump on a call whatever you need awesome hey man i'll uh, make sure to include the link in the show notes as well so if anybody's watching they can get plugged in there so thank you so much man i really appreciate the conversation it's good stuff dude thanks josh this is great i appreciate what you're doing i love this pod so keep it going people need this kind of advice and uh 
I appreciate you. Appreciate this opportunity. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, man. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Manlyhood Mancast. Aaron, thank you so much for a great interview. I love hearing from you, and I really appreciate your insights on the world. Guys, if you want to get connected with Aaron, his information is in the show notes, so just click through there and click his link to go check out his website and the podcast and the work that he's doing. And guys, I really appreciate all that you do to help make Manlyhood a success. We have reached a milestone. We've hit 500,000 downloads. That's half a million plays of our podcast which is a really really cool thing and that is the success that you guys have brought about by listening and sharing so please let's keep that up give our podcast a rating and a review if you appreciate it share it with a friend if you guys want to join uh, a group of men that are going to help you grow you can do that at our brotherhood at manlyhood man cave on facebook it's a private facebook group for you we'd love to have you there but guys i just wanted you to know that i love you and I care about you, and I'll see you next time.